Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. By the way, do not ever try to mansplain to Mary Robinson. It doesn't work. He called her ma'am twice. That was in the sentence where he said, I am the man in charge. Yes. I am the man in charge. Yes. 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 That was and a it was, really It was genie. a gender equity event. Wasn't yeah, it? it was. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. This is Wicked Problems. I'm Richard Delavan. Dubai is more Blade Runner than Solar Park, I would say. It it dubs itself as the city of the future, and it, and in some ways, looks like the future if we don't do anything about climate change. The way I describe it is sort of Disney World meets Vegas and this whole Spinal Tap thing where it goes to 11. But I will also say they've hosted a pretty amazing thing that it has been inspirational. This is my first top. And we really want to scale the Lumisphere experience. We want to get partners. We want to get funders. We want to go global. We need as many people as possible to understand themselves as active agents in the solution. We are all in varying degrees stuck in this doom loop of negativity about the future and climate. And so the whole idea of the Lumisphere is to really change conversations positive and to shed climate anxiety. There's a kind of emergency frenzy that also is, it's contagious, but so is the optimism. We have the know-how, we have the technology. It's really coming down to policy and political will. And that political will is going to come from more and more average citizens getting engaged. Give Dubai credit where it's due. This comp is a mix of serious policy and passion with no shortage of spectacle. So we wanted to check in with some people on the ground at COP28 in Dubai who are trying to bring all those elements together in one project called Visions 2030, which is more solar punk than the cyberpunk of Neom or other things associated with the similarly named economic development program in Saudi Arabia. Elizabeth Thompson and Chris Hayes are with Visions 2030 and joined us from Dubai just after hearing Al Gore speak. We'll have our conversation in just a moment. First, a couple of bits of housekeeping. Do sign up at news.wickedproblems.uk to get our newsletter and more episodes like this one with myself and co-host Claire Brady. We've got quite a few getting ready to make their way to you, from the optimism of Oxfordshire Green Tech's Hannah Scott 
to the warning of climate scientist Andy Reisinger trying to get policymakers to focus on the need to plan for an overshoot of 1.5 degrees. And if you stay till the end, you'll hear a new voice on the pod, a young and upcoming VO artist called Theodore Delavan. For now, let's dig in. Here's my conversation with Chris and Elizabeth from Visions 2030. We hope you enjoy. I'm so delighted we could be joined from Dubai by two first-timers at the Conference of the Parties, my old boss and colleague, Chris Hayes, and Elizabeth Thompson of Visions 2030. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Great to be here. Thank you. Chris, you guys have just come from the event where Al Gore has been speaking to Akshat Rati from Bloomberg. Exactly. Uh, Axios, Axios. Oh, it's Axios. Okay, so more than one event he's done today. Well, so tell us, some of the former vice president coming in hot to this cop, what, how did it go down in the room when you saw him? I think the bottom line is that Al Gore's message was beating the drum of urgency. That's what it was. And anything that isn't urgent should be relegated. We need a, like a full court press, but anything that has to do with considering things or possible, possible this or possible that is, excuse my French, but just BS. And he was from the cop presidency to the need for absolute total focus to a real fossil fuel reduction. And he was very emphatic and emotional and just basically didn't mince words. Absolutely. Just to add that I met him 20 years ago when I was running the Buckminster Fuller Institute. And of course, he's had the same kind of argument about what we need to be doing for a very long time now. And he was literally yelling (laughs) this evening. He is the embodiment of the urgency that the situation calls for. I I would just add to what Chris was saying was that he's a big AI geek, and he really feels like there is a huge promise with AI in terms of its positive deployment on behalf of really acceler- accelerating solutions to to what we're facing, in particular as a tool to observe and monitor in real time the positive impacts of climate change interventions using digital has a clarion call for urgency, but he's also optimistic about how both the technology and the number of new people who are getting in the game portends for the future, but the clock is ticking in no uncertain terms. This week, he's launched Climate Trace, being some, one of the, the ventures he's backed, and I've, I've had a play around with it. Was that something that came up in his talk? Yeah. I mean, that, that was really the, the preamble to mention it was the applica- the positive application of AI technologies is a kind of big accelerator for finding solutions. So just maybe introduce to the listeners why you're both at COP28 there in Dubai is you are both working on a project called Visions 2030, which has quite a lot of AI in it. Elizabeth, can you tell us a little bit about your background and Visions 2030 and how you came to be working with them? Sure. My background originally was in the arts and culture space, and I spent a number of years there. And then I had the great good fortune to run the Buckminster Fuller Institute for about 15 years. And after that, worked as a consultant. I'm sort of a cultural catalyst. That's basically what I do. And I was invited to to join this new initiative called Visions 2030 that was really focused on developing tools and experiences to 
harness the artistic imagination to that that lives in all of us in some form or another to develop new models, new ideas, and get more people in the game of climate change. We de- prototyped an immersive experience called the Lumosphere at Cal Arts in Los Angeles in September, and it is at a three geodesic dome journey that asks people regular people, what do you want the future to look like? People go through an, a kind of emotional and meditative experience at the end of which they are invited to to share what the their vision for the future might look like. They do that in a tablet. The tablet uh, is connected to software driven by AI and instantaneously an image of that future that they have just imagined appears in a gallery on a screen. They then received that image in email and are invited to go into a fourth space in which they can talk about what they created, how they can integrate that into their lives and take action and become part of the solution. If I could add add to that, we are all in varying degrees stuck in this doom loop of negativity about the future and climate. And so the whole idea of the Lumosphere is to really change conversations positive, to get people more involved and to shed climate anxiety. So the whole idea is you go through this and you create an action plan. And the more that you act, the more hope you have less climate anxiety to have. And the more we'll have people, this army of people that we need out there to fix this problem. So when I was reading the D-Zine write-up of the Lumosphere at CalArts earlier, solar punk was used quite a lot to describe not just that, but other installations that were there. For those who are not completely familiar, solar punk being distinct from cyberpunk, cyberpunk being kind of, I don't know, Blade Runner, kind of neon and rain-soaked streets and kind of really dark and so solar punk has a different vision. So maybe can you say a little bit more about that, Elizabeth? Yeah, solar punk really centers on optimistic views of the future, but has a kind of similar love of technology, but really is a kind of movement of young people more than anything. Um, it has its own kind of visual vocabulary. It's really about young people harnessing the technology, harnessing their creativity to develop optimistic scenarios for the future. Fantastic. And I suppose you're in the right place. Dubai is more Blade Runner than Solar Punk, Uh I would say, (laughs) given that it's a kind of, it dubs itself as the city of the future and it, and in some ways looks like the future if we don't do anything about climate change. <laughs> I have to say, I don't know how Chris feels about this, having he and I both, of course, have spent time in region. Yeah. And I, there is actually a whole school of architecture and design called Gulf Futurism. Oh, I which didn't is know a, that. That's interesting. But it's, yeah, I suppose it, it would lean more toward the dystopic, I yeah. guess, if I'm being honest, in a lot of its experiences. But Chris, I suppose a lot of people do find the area seductive. And I did see that even Michael Liebreich, the founder of NEF, now Bloomberg NEF, noted commentator and energy analyst who couldn't resist the temptation to go to the indoor skiing facility there in Dubai. So despite being somebody who would be very much a critic and a skeptic of a lot of these things, even he couldn't resist the the opportunity to go skiing inside. So I suppose people get sucked in, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, the way I describe it is a sort of 
Disney World meets Vegas and the sp- whole Spinal Tap thing where it goes to 11. And that's what Dubai is all about. But I will also say they invested all this these resources to be this massive convener for the expo a few years ago. And the fact that it's being used right now and you have all these people here and they felt compelled as we did because we knew there were going to be so many people here. It was a good thing because you have the previous investment and there's all kinds of really innovative, diverse solutions here. So like my sort of message is that they've hosted a pretty amazing thing. And there's so many interesting people here committed to fixing this. It has been inspirational for myself. As you alluded to earlier, this is my first cop. And we're here for this sort of little micro solution that we think we really want to scale the Lumosphere experience. We want to get partners. We want to get funders. We want to go global. And it's been an optimistic time. And we have a few more days here and we're looking forward to it. Let's say a little bit more about the Lumosphere then. I mean, in terms of the, the project and in terms of what you're hoping for it, the experiences, I've seen some of the reactions of some of the young people who interacted with it at CalArts and seemed to get a lot out of it. I suppose, what are your ambitions and hopes to be able to bring that to other parts of the world? Well, we would like to bring it, we'd love to do a national tour in the United States in 2024 and offer it as a tool for communities to begin a conversation about what kind of future they want. We see it as a kind of catalyst for a new kind of community conversation about what the future might look like. At the global level, we think it would be an interesting and effective kind of gathering space at global, big global events like COP, but also if I'm going to be dreaming myself big time, the Olympics, the FIFA global tours. We really see this as the, an opportunity to take a census on the future from regular people worldwide. Amazing. And I suppose, a lot, and then the, the AI enabling those visions to be turned into something that they can actually see. And uh, yeah, that, that gives them agency. Well. The If you're part of the solution, then you're going to move forward and you're going to sort of shed that paralysis. The more that you're involved, the more that you see the future, the more that you're going to get involved and the more that you're going to sort of shed that climate anxiety. And that's all. The more that we have, more people we have moving forward, the better. But I, I would also just add to that the the participants who go through the Lumosphere create a visual record of what they want for the future. And if you can imagine tens of thousands of people creating a visual record, that is a very interesting data set that communicates about what regular people actually really want. As part of the rendering process of those images, people are invited to make selections between and amongst all kinds of different possibilities for the future, from from continuing with fossil fuels to having solar panels on your house to eating organic to driving an electric car, etc. We are also collecting data at a meta level. We're not assigning it to individual people. We're very respectful of people's privacy, but we are collecting a kind of data set about what people actually really want. And we would like to be able to, and see the possibility of being able to offer those insights to decision makers in specific communities. Absolutely. Yeah. Very interesting. And 
so look, I mean, I think that's that sounds like it's going to be very interesting, and hopefully you're in the right place to have the kind of conversations that will enable some of that to come to place next year. You're certainly in a part of the world that values the kind of experiences that you're hoping to put on. In fact, I note that one of the big draws this year at COP has actually been this pavilion with Andrei Melodichenko, right. the Russian billionaire who's uh, resurrecting woolly mammoths as part of restoring Siberia's ice age ecosystem, I see. Have you got a chance to go to... Talk to people about Lumosphere and how it compares to kind of the, the I suppose you would have a ready audience. We're going to hit the green zone on that tomorrow. But yeah, we've been we've been at the innovation zone, the green zone, a variety of areas. This definitely resonated well. People really do want to move forward. People want to have positive climate conversations. They don't want to be scared. They want to look for solutions. And something like this helps to move forward in that context. And although it's not my sort of background, the sort of arts and culture angle to this whole thing really resonates because there isn't a lot of resources in this area and more needs to be put in this area so that it actually we get to more people. And there are more NGOs looking at allocating more resources to not only change behavior, to galvanize action, but to people, to increase action on climate. That's the reality. That was Al Gore's message. We have got to, we have got to act. And I I think the cultural sector, sorry, just to glom on here, Richard, but I think the cultural sector plays a huge role in, in how we're going to kind of turn the ship around in time. And one of the things that has happened kind of on the sidelines at COP is that there is movement afoot. A hundred countries have signed a sort of petition, if you will, and it has been agreed upon to include, start the process, the formal process to include the cultural sector at the table for COP in COP 30. And I I think that's a huge breakthrough. I think if we're not including organizations, institutions, and those aspects of the government that are responsible for the health and well-being and inclusion of regular people, we're not going to get there. We need people, we need as many people as possible to understand the stakes and to begin to understand themselves as active agents in the solution. And that's what we're trying to offer with this tool. And so COP20, COP30 is going to be taking place in, in Melem in yes. Brazil. Right. And that's going to be, I suppose, an interesting one. The, Of course, you're, you're at a unique one in that it's, what, nearly 100,000 registrants it's who are crazy. there yeah. at, for COP28. The largest. Much bigger than ever before, and not to, meant not to slightly discount, but also that 2,500 of those registrants are fossil fuel lobbyists there right, as well. Right, right. So it's quite a, and we may not have a COP next year in the sense that the, if there is one, it might take place in Dubai, in, in, in Bond. Yeah, in Bond, that's the, the default the, apparently, yeah. The fact, yeah, if so, I mean, so just, I'd like to come back in a moment, Elizabeth, to talk a little bit about the challenges and the, the opportunities for the cultural sector in dealing with climate. Before I do that, I can't pass up the opportunity just to get a, get more of a sense of the mood. Mm-hmm. It's been quite a roller coaster in terms of some of the news flow that's come about the presidency, about some of the stories that have come out, and about some of the news flow that's come out over the first couple of days. We had the Secretary General speaking yesterday in response to some of that news. We had Jim Ski from the IPCC, and t- today, obviously, we had Al Gore jumping right, in. That. Right. So, what's the mood? What's the mood been like? Right. There is a lot of positive messaging here. A lot of positive people. A lot of positive announcements, and people just really working hard to advance climate solutions. So, for example. Um, we saw at this adjacent event, not 
directly in the green zone, but a, an adjacent event in the innovation zone, the former president of Iceland speak, a really beautiful speech. Um, and he, his fundamental message was 25 years ago, Iceland was a the sort of poor man of Europe. We were isolated. We had a horrible economy and we fundamentally galvanized action, not really because of our belief in sustainable solutions, but we embraced them to advance our economy. But it worked. It did the right thing. And we are now a much better place. He also gave a variety of anecdotal things about some solutions from entrepreneurs in sort of isolated areas of, of Iceland. This one guy who recently just launched a or sold the first unicorn in Iceland for a billion dollars that basically his solution was all about cod skin mimicking human skin and he sold it for a billion dollars and it's going to have all these different solutions so his point was that we can do this and if Iceland can do it and if a remote farmer, excuse me, a fisherman in an obscure area of Iceland without a formal education can create an amazing company that will really help humanity and then just sold it recently for a billion dollars in a unicorn capacity. We can solve this thing. We have the solutions. And that's the sort of core message of Visions and Lumisphere is that we have the, the solutions. We've got to move forward and we've got to be positive and we've got to galvanize more people. Elizabeth? I, yeah, I um, just agree wholeheartedly that speech um, was so moving. And I can't speak for what might be going on in the blue zone, which is where all the um, national delegations are duking it out uh, um, for the language of the statement that comes out of here. But there's a kind of a deadline emergency frenzy that also is... It's contagious, but so is the optimism because there are so many people here who are coming from the the political sector, the private sector, the social sector, who are all well along the way. They have advanced technologies that have the tires have been kicked. We have the know-how. We have the technology. It's really coming down to policy. That's one thing that I've heard repeated over and over again. And political will. And that political will is going to become from more and more average citizens getting engaged. That's a good place to pivot to talking about the cultural aspect yeah. of this, because I think as well as one, one political, let's just say, commentator in the States has put it that politics is downstream from culture, right? So yeah. insofar as we're talking about the political barriers, not the technological barriers to be able to make climate progress, right. culture has been something that's been a bit of a laggard, hasn't it, yeah. in terms of being able to deal with in a creative way yeah. the climate We've spoken to comedians, we've spoken to dramatists, we've spoken to novelists, and it's something that while we're seeing more of it, we often see things that either you know veer into really hard dystopia or things that wind up being sounding like a policy seminar, yeah. with all greatest respect to Kim Stanley Robinson, <laughs> to, th to things that wind up just being very hippy-dippy right. and everything must be, we're all happy and, and getting along. Right. But I suppose it's, it, we just don't seem to have caught the get traction of something that really just feels like really 
compelling cultural products. Right. Is that something that you're hoping to address? Uh, yes. And I think if you look hard enough, it's there. It just doesn't, it just has not been reported on for anybody listening who's interested in contemporary art. There's an incredible website you can check out called Eco Art Space. And it's a database of extraordinary works of contemporary art by artists who have been using their platforms and their work and their practice to draw attention to these issues. And they've been at it for many years. But you're right, it hasn't been in the mainstream. You, we, I mean, we could spend hours and hours in a diatribe of, well, who's funding the arts? Who's funding culture? What are their interests? Where do arts and culture organizations have to go to get the funding to do what they do? It's all kind of a nested system of of values in a way. But I think having said that, the cultural sector is has woken up and it is a an enormous force for reaching millions and millions of people and we need them. We we need as many different forms of communication, as many different ways in which to reach people in, in, through their hearts, through their intuitions, through their body, through all these other forms of communication. And the cultural sector is, I think, a huge piece of the solution. Well, that, that feels like a really good place that maybe we ask all of our guests who come onto the show to give us some thoughts about recommendations of things that they've seen. And you've just given us one example or read or, or, or heard that have shifted their mindset about climate or climate tech. Elizabeth, Chris, any recommendations you'd have for our listeners? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. I mean, because we're so focused on sort of this climate anxiety that leads to paralysis, leads to inaction, and we want to shed that, the Yale School of Public Health and the Yale School of Climate Communications has all kinds of really great information. From a sort of a, a daily perspective, I really like the World Economic Forum videos. They push them out on a variety of channels, but I get them via LinkedIn, and they're always really interesting. It's about solutions, and it's about sometimes it's micro, sometimes it's macro, sometimes it's about green hydrogen, or it could be about post-harvest loss, but I really find those compelling. And one last thing that I really haven't dug super deep into, but it's I, I checked it out earlier today, and the new data on climate.gov, which is a NOAA website, is like their new version is super deep and has all kinds of interesting stuff. Uh, Elizabeth? I would just, one thing I would add is um, just sort of inspired by a panel session I attended yesterday, um, you know, in which the emphasis was, the title of it was Think Exponentially. Um, It was run by a very influential design thinker named Bruce Mao. And we need to build our own capacity to be able to think at the scale of the problem in order to imagine and dream forward solutions that are appropriate to the scale of the problem. So Bruce Mao's work, you can check it out at massivechangenetwork.com. That's a part of his legacy where all of these kind of design thinking tools and frameworks and workshops that you can participate in, books that you can buy, I, I can't recommend it more highly. Fabulous. Well, listen, we'll definitely check that out and include links in the show notes. So look, what do you guys have planned for your evening there? I think it's quite, I suppose it's reasonably late there in Dubai. Yeah, well, I think we're going to sort of talk about the presentations earlier. They were incredible. 
we have a little planning for tomorrow. We're, we're going to the innovation zone and we're going to go to the green zone. We have all kinds of different panels to attend. Somebody else asking us to do another podcast, um, some other interesting forums in the innovation zone, but just really good stuff. There's a ton of people here. People are working so hard and so committed to it. Well, look, I'm, I'm sure the other podcast will not be anywhere near as good as Wicked Well, though, well though, I, I should have said, you that right now. Richard, I should have said, my, my first answer should have Very said, nice. what's my favorite resource? It's Wicked Problems, newsletter nice. and, and podcast. Excellent. And before I finally, before I let you go, Elizabeth, you mentioned, of course, that you have, you'd met Al Gore years ago when you were running the Bookminster Fuller Institute. Yeah. And I, I guess at the very end of his talk that you had a chance to to reconnect. Is that right? We did. We did. He was kindly gave me a couple seconds in the mob that was surrounding him. His Digital Earth Initiative is directly inspired by an idea that Fuller had called Geoscope, which was about creating, using supercomputing and the latest in data visualization to have real-time information about the metabolic flows of the earth so that you could make better decisions and see the consequences down the road of your policy and technology implications, the implications of your technology and policy interventions. And this new technology that he announced today is part of that digital earth vision that he's been championing since he was vice president. Well, I mean, this is hot off the press. The world will be hearing about this when this podcast goes out tomorrow. I look forward to seeing the reactions. Thank you both so much, Elizabeth and Chris. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for listening to Wicked Problems. And if you like this conversation, please share it and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps people find the show. You can subscribe to our newsletter at news.wickedproblems.uk, where you can also find more episodes of with Richard Elvin and Claire Brady and all our show notes. And consider becoming a paid subscriber to help support our work. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. For now, thanks for listening. <laughs>